everyone, welcome to episode one of Diving Into Data. I'm Tyler Kern, alongside TC Riley. TC, thanks for being here, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Tyler. So, TC, you are the director of analytics here at MarketScale. No one better to talk data with. I, I am the. I agree <laughs> with the first point. I will go with the second one, but yeah, I think I can do an okay job. We'll just we'll just roll with that. We'll roll with that. But uh, so today we're going to dive into a couple of different topics: fantasy football, digital signage, and then tariffs. So it's going to be a really fun and interesting episode, and we're going to try to, with each episode, kind of break down some of the big trends that we're seeing, some of the newsier items that we're seeing in the world of data, to make sure that this is relevant uh, to what people are following and what people are interested in, but also informative. So that that's kind of the goal of this. Absolutely, yeah. Data can be boring. We know that at times. So we're (laughs) going to make it interesting. We're going to keep it topical. We're going to make sure um, it's around things that you're probably already thinking about. And I'm going to encourage you to think about them in a little bit of a different way. Maybe incorporate some analytics into that. I like that. Well, the the way that data became first interesting for me, because I'm not a math person by nature, uh, just in general, but I loved baseball cards as a kid. So I had baseball cards and I'd memorized stats like crazy, you know, and so I had all of these numbers in my head just from, you know, calculating batting averages and things like that just when I was little. And so sports was really the introduction for me into the world of data, into the world of numbers. And I think that's still the case for a lot of people. A lot of people first kind of find their entry into caring about data when it comes to sports. And I think fantasy sports has really brought that to the forefront even more these days. Absolutely. And we're in the same boat there. The first reason, uh, the reason I'm here is that I love sports as a kid and I love looking up stats. And uh, I come from a family of kind of, you know, geeky folks who, uh, <laughs> um, who like stats. So me and my dad are always talking about um, the, the stats and the analytics behind some of the sports. And again, back in the day, it wasn't quite as advanced as today. We'll mm-hmm. get there, but, uh, <laughs> um, there's all types of awesome stuff. And yeah, and, and fantasy sports are great because fantasy sports are data. It literally is just applying point values based on data points. Right. And so uh, that's why it's, I mean, I love it. It's right in my alley. I mean, again, intersection of the two things I love most. Um, but with everything you look at around fantasy sports, the projections, the analysis, the predictions, um, the actual results and everything, it, it all ties back to it, that is analytics. So y- you might love analytics and you don't even realize it. You think you just love setting your lineup each set, uh, Sunday morning, <laughs> but no, you, you like data. You just don't know it yet. So everybody's a data nerd, really, just at the heart of it. You know, if you love fantasy football, you love data. Uh, It's interesting because it's really kind of caused people to view things in a different way. I know for me, like when I watch games now, I have a different level of interest just in the performance of players. But if you want to get really geeky into it, you can kind of dive into some of the underlying numbers of things to see, okay, what's someone's usage rate? Or, you know, how how many, what's the percentage of plays that this person's on the field for? And you can really kind of get past that that initial layer of how many balls did he catch to try to predict future outcomes by just saying, okay, how much was he on the field? Was he actually getting opportunities? How many different routes did he run? And you can kind of get a little bit more into the numbers and try to, I suppose, extrapolate some meaning and, and apply that moving forward so that your team wins games. But more importantly, you are getting into more of the nitty gritty of data. Absolutely. Yeah. And the ones you hit on are exactly right. It doesn't necessarily, you shouldn't just see that okay, he had 113 yards receiving today. Yeah. That's great. However, if that was, you know, three catches for 113 and he was only on the field for 15% of the plays and, you know, ran nine total routes in the game, that's maybe not a guy I'm going to hook my wagon to the rest of the year. Yeah, but, you might um, not say that's a sustainable performance That's exactly forward. right. Yeah, that's a that's a indicator that future performance might not equal what you're seeing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, maybe it will. May, it, it, this is all, you know, projections. You can't ever say it perfect, but... 
Um, and some of the other cool things out there. So if, if you play ESPN fantasy football, you've seen the last two years, um, they rolled in IBM Watson insights into the app for each player so that each player you go in, you're trying to set your lineup for the week and you see this range of projected scores. It runs all these simulations. It takes things like that into consideration. So maybe even again, you and I are talking about usage rates and routes and all that. Maybe you're not there. Maybe you don't want to go dive into that. Maybe you aren't interested in that, but you are curious as to, do I start person A or person B? Yeah. Well, good old uh, Watson's going to do it for you. <laughs> um, it's going to look at that. It's going to show you what are the chances that they're going to boom and have an incredible week. What are the chances they're going to bust and you're not going to be happy with them? Um, and even things like uh, the player buzz, that's another thing they do. So that's actually a social listening function. Mm-hmm. Um, still kind of in the analytics data computer world um, where it's actually looking at all the tweets, stories, everything being written about this player and grading it. Is it a positive or negative kind of association so that you can see, hey, 95% of the media is kind of talking bad about this guy. Yeah, it looks like it's kind of a favorable matchup, but maybe there's more to that. You dive into it and you realize, yeah, he you know pulled a hammy at uh, practice on Tuesday and it's not looking good for him to play or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but those kind of things are really, really interesting because there's taking – a lot of those advanced stats that, frankly, are, are above my head even sometimes, much less, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a regular football watcher. Right. Um, and breaking them down into something that's easy to see is, hey, here's what he's projected to get for the week. Here's his range of possible scores. You, you know, 30% chance he's going to do great. Yeah, 40% chance he's not going to do so hot. And you and I can, you know, digest that pretty easily and say, okay, this is this is terrific. Yeah, make decisions based off of that. And it's really incredible the way that uh, that kind of artificial intelligence machine learning is being incorporated into even fantasy sports. It just kind of speaks to some of the wider applications of that probably moving forward even beyond fantasy sports. But if we're able to use it for fun, surely it's being used for serious purposes. Exactly. And uh, keep in mind, yeah, fantasy sports are fun. We talk about that. It is a very, very large business. It is there are billions and billions of dollars. And uh, especially because fantasy sports typically, you know, kind of tie in with gambling. We'll steer clear of that today. We won't get too deep. <laughs> down that rabbit hole but um yes as these advanced stats and advanced um kind of types of analysis on athletes um things that are right now being used by the gm and the scouts and all that um those tend to kind of trickle into the public eye whether it's things that you see pop up during sunday night football that they're showing you this and that stat right um last week in the cowboys game seeing that cheeto woozy their corner chased down saquon um he was the fastest recorded speed any nfl players had in like two years yeah um, during that spread that kind of stuff it's like wow that's so cool he's so fast all you do watching, it's like, wow, that guy's pretty quick. But now it's kind of come downstream. Again, teams were tracking that five, ten years ago maybe. Now the fan's getting that. Um, and it's even more intertwined in fantasy sports. Uh, an example I can say, one of my friends in a fantasy baseball league this year where they actually have a bonus each week based on the average spin rate of every play, uh, pitcher's curveball that they played this week. Which That's unbelievable. It's incredibly granular and weird. Again, I to be totally honest, I think they more of just they had the ability to do it, so they decided to do it more than uh, <laughs> that's necessary. But still, it's something like that is, you know, people didn't use spin rates in baseball a decade ago, mm-hmm. much less think that they're going to somehow impact, you know, a fantasy sport or that, you know, Joe Schmo off the street is going to start or not start this guy this week because, oh, that, you know, that spin rate's been down recently. Well, I don't know, I guess. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's crazy, but it's also awesome. Again, yeah. I, I geek out over this stuff. I love it. Um, both sports and data. Yeah. And it's the perfect intersection of the two. I had a conversation earlier this week where we were talking about former Dallas Cowboys, uh, specifically Des Bryant, and his effectiveness as a wide receiver. And in his last season with the Cowboys, he created the smallest amount of separation between himself and the defender. And that's a, kind of one of those next generation stats, right, that, that started to get uh, gain in traction and gain in popularity, just that he wasn't creating enough separation, so he wasn't 
be open basically like uh so a lot of times people were dinging the quarterback for that like oh, you got to get des the ball you got to get des the ball but more than anything it was des not creating separation and so it just kind of gives you that perspective and kind of brings in uh, another aspect of things that maybe you didn't otherwise consider absolutely that's a perfect example and then those same people are wondering why you're throwing cole beasley a bunch of five yard outs all the last few years yeah cole beasley almost always leads the league in average separation so it, yeah he's wide open um, you've had a younger quarterback. We won't get into whether Dak's taking the leap or not. Leave that for another day. <laughs> um, but uh, it, Cole's wide open. There's yeah. a reason Cole was getting the ball. And maybe earlier, back when Des was here, he wasn't quite as much because, yeah, I, that that's great that he's, you know, this huge physical specimen. He can jump out of the building and this huge catch radius. That's all good. But there's a guy in his pocket. Cole Beasley's mm-hmm. out standing on an island over here where you could, you know, put on a blindfold and hit him. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. who's going to get the ball? It's, it's going to be Beasley putting the linebacker on skates. All right. We got to unfortunately move on from sports and kind of dive into, I know it's a, it's always a bummer. <laughs> I could talk sports for the, for the entire podcast, but one of the other big areas where we're seeing data kind of make a large leap into the forefront really has been in the digital signage world. And I really experienced this firsthand earlier this year when I was in Las Vegas for the digital signage expo, where as much as it felt like a show about digital signage and about, you know, the, the technology that goes into creating this signage, you know, and LED boards and things like that, it was just as much a show about data because people are more and more interested in, specifically in the retail landscape, of closing that gap between e-commerce and the brick and mortar locations. So they want to know, okay, can we get data that kind of starts to help close that gap just a little bit? And all those conversations just revolved around how can we collect and then interpret data in a way that helps business. So what have you seen in the way of digital signage when it comes to data collection, data capture, data interpretation, how it's actually being able to be utilized? Yeah, we worked a lot with clients on this one and it is it is very tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're talking about is something that is a, a digital signage is not online. Um, you know, anything online now you can track. It's pretty easy and stuff. Yeah. We're talking about these physical um, you know, properties out there that how are we going to get the level of insight that we want? Um, people have come to expect the level of granularity that a Google ads or running display ads online, things of that nature. Right. Um, the, the amount of interactions you get and being able to see that very, very specific level of click through rates and, you know, flash terms like that, that doesn't exist in digital signage. And, um, even though it's a huge industry and, mm-hmm. Um, continuing to grow. Um, it's not really as tangible and it's not realistic. So we have to be creative a little bit and think of outside the box. Um, you mentioned you're at a trade show for this and digital science is huge at trade shows. Right. That's one, maybe it's a little easier. Maybe you can, you know, look at people who actually scan into your booth, look at your you know participation and what comes of those deals. You have some routes there. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do we do when we're talking about digital signage on the street downstairs, you know, yeah. you know, as you're walking around Times Square looking at some of the signage, how do we get that kind of stuff? And there's two interesting things that I've uh, kind of read a lot about. Um, one of them is a little older and one of them is more on the forefront and we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Um, geofencing is a big one. Um, that one's been around for a little while. People have used geofencing for a number of things, which if you're not familiar with geofencing, um, it's pretty much setting up a perimeter or a specific area around a, um, a attraction, in this case, a sign of some kind, um, where you were able to get granular data on those people if they perform things. So maybe um, Salesforce is able to set up some geofencing around some of their big digital signage things around Times Square. Mm-hmm. And every time someone actually logs into Salesforce or Google Salesforce or something like that, does something online on their phone, they pull out, they look at this big sign and they do that, they're able to immediately connect it back to, hey, when this person did this, they weren't just in New York. They were specifically in Times Square right in front of display number 
one, two, three, four, yeah. or whatever, and be able to tie some things there. That's interesting. Um, there are some limitations there, and I, I, it's not going to be perfect, but um, that could give you some information, the types of interactions people have right around your sign. Mm-hmm. That's one of them. That kind of gives you uh, a little bit of an idea of ROI on, on that kind yeah, of investment. Absolutely. On a sign, right? And that's, that's, it's kind of analogous to, again, click through rates are the big thing with, you know, um, yeah. online ads. Um, it's kind of the, uh, the express interest rate, you know, how many people that are around this sign, um, you can probably get a decent estimate how many people are seeing the sign on a daily basis, but how many people in this general area, mm-hmm. um, are then taking some type of action, um, to get, you know, drive towards a conversion or whatever your goal is for that. Yeah. Um, so it, it's interesting. Um, again, I'm not gonna pretend to be an expert on it, but, um, geofencing is definitely one, um, in certain circumstances, I can give you a ton of data. Um, but there's a lot of other times I think that that's not really realistic. Um, geofencing requires a lot of kind of planning and specificity around the specific location. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not always realistic. However, something I was reading about recently um, was actually how AI can help with this. And with that, what they're looking at is actually a lot of these digital signage have cameras actually um, already built in or they're kind of moving that direction where they're able to kind of see the people around them and all. Okay. Um, and actually using AI to be able to interpret people's everything from their facial reactions, facial expressions. Um, again, they're able to tell when someone kind of looks at these um, digital signs and how they're reacting. Ooh. That's yeah, it's a little creepy, but it's it also is, yeah. it's it's really interesting to think about. Again, if you're um I'm just going to keep using the Times Square example sure, we're there. Sure. Um but you know, if uh, M&M World or whatever is there has this new big digital signage um and they're able to scan the crowd and see how children that walk by are there are their eyes lighting up and do they, you know, are they um does the AI interpret hey, a lot of positive reactions mm-hmm. or does it kind of fall flat and you're not really getting that. Um it gives you a barometer for how that's doing. That's really interesting. And I, I, I guess the goal behind all of this is people want to know, uh, first of all, personalization is a bigger and bigger thing uh, these days. So people want to be able to personalize content, customize content so that people have these memorable experiences with digital signage and with kind of that digital experiential type technology. And so the more they can know about who is viewing these screens and what their reactions are, the more that they feel like they are then able to then take that and create something that more people will enjoy, I suppose, and drive that ROI that way. Absolutely. Yeah. And the demographics of your visitors, another thing Mm -hmm. that kind of ties in exactly what you're talking about. And that's exactly it. You know, we want to get to a point um, as a company, you know, Mm -hmm. with this um, digital signage that um, if we have, it can very quickly react to being able to scan and identify that um, this type of people, a large group of this type of person just walked up and is looking at the sign and kind of customize it for that. And, you know, mm-hmm. you have this instantaneous customized content. Um, I think we're still a ways away from that. And, you know, we're not necessarily there today, at least at scale. Yeah. Um, but that is something I bet you in 20 years, um, just about every ad that you see, you're going to walk up to and somehow it's going to be personalized for you. Again, I'm, the way data collection's going, it wouldn't shock me if, you know, it's able to ping your cell phone, identify, hey, Tyler. Um, and then that that banner, that you, digital banner you're looking at says, hey, Tyler, come on in and give us money. We're, yeah, yeah. we're not far away from that. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. We have skinny jeans in your size. <laughs> you know, whatever, it, whatever it is. That, no, I don't think any uh, smart software is ever going to say that to me. But uh, that's, uh, <laughs> We have cowboy boots here, yeah, TC. There you go. Now yes. we're barking up my tree. So, so th- that's all really interesting. I'm curious to see how that moves in the future. Again, it feels like we're just scratching the surface of what's possible in this realm. And so, uh, again, that's something we'll, we'll keep an eye on. And maybe there's a, maybe there's an update coming in a future episode of diving into data on that as we continue to explore what's possible in that realm. But let's hit kind of one of the big topics of today. And if you've watched the news, follow the news at all, or just have Google News or whatever, you've certainly seen something about 
tariffs and about um, trade disputes and, and trade negotiations going on, specifically with China. Uh, it's going on a, a lot just around the world in general, but specifically between China and the United States. And it's been a hot button issue for a little while now, and people are trying to decipher uh, the benefits, uh, the negative sides of things, and really trying to get into the data to figure out, hey, has this been positive? Is this working? What's the effect that is taking place of these trade negotiations. So from a data perspective, TC, what are you looking at when you try to make a determination on something like this? Yeah. And we are bleeding a little bit more into economics than just true data analysis, yeah. but economics is pretty much, uh, is analytics just on a, uh, a larger economy scale. Um, but there's a couple of things like, this is one that kind of particularly interests me. I've been following a lot. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, the, the U.S.-China trade thing and then also U.K. and Brexit are probably the mm -hmm. two biggest kind of ones that people are Absolutely. looking at and projecting and following. Um, but the one thing that I every month am kind of really, really following um, is a month-by-month -month trade deficit. It's a mm -hmm. pretty simple measurement of just imports and exports between the U.S. and China and kind of what is the deficit of that. We've always run at a very significant deficit, and how is that deficit changing? Um, and we're seeing things like just over a few months, exports are down 18 to 20 percent. Um, imports are down anywhere between 10 and 15 percent, depending, again, what you're looking at, where mm -hmm. you're looking, who you're getting your data from. Um, the deficit is shrinking slightly. Um, we're heading in kind of in the right direction. But even after all these things that we've implemented, there's a lot more kind of on the horizon. You know, there, there's more you know, threats out there, for lack of a better word, sure. for more. Um, and being able to kind of take what we've seen from this um, this first round and project, okay, what's round two going to do? What's round three going to do? And if it gets worse, what will it do? Um, it's being able to take that deficit and look at it um, probably gives you the most granular view, again, specifically around this one. Um, but I'd also encourage you, sometimes it's real easy with topics like this to try to get too focused on one thing. Um, so when you're looking at topics like this, I encourage you to take a step back and look a little higher level. Hmm. Um, two ways to think about that are, yeah, we can look at the U.S.-China relationship specifically and the numbers there, but let's look at, again, I'm an American, I'll be honest, I'm most interested in how is this going to impact me and the American economy? Sure. Um, how is this impacting GDP? That's the big one for me. Um, GDP is kind of going down. They think there's probably um, uh, like two thirds of a percentage point decrease in GDP um, in the last quarter from these specific kind of trade battle activities. Yeah. Um, and that might not sound like a ton, but um, when we're talking about the GDP of the U.S., that's a very significant amount. Definitely. Um, and it is something that kind of is worrisome for the future of our economy. Things have been really well, um, been going really well for you know a decade, give or take. Um, at this point, we've been uh, expanding significantly, and um, there have been some signs that this is this is not going to necessarily help that. Um, there are some other things at play there. Again, we're not going to get into politics here today. Right. Um, but uh, the other thing that is very concerning is, again, you're looking at that macroeconomic picture and looking at the data, um, the yield curve inverting this uh, past week, um, which for those of you who aren't familiar, it's the uh, looking at bonds from the U.S. government for the short-term and long-term bonds. And um, pretty much what the government is now uh, is saying by setting it like this is shifting towards um, the economy of the future is not going to be as good as the economy of the present. Um, mm -hmm. Again, there, it's much, much more complex than that, but you can kind of boil it down to um, economists projecting that things in the future might not be too great. And the trade war um, or, you know, trade battle, whatever, whatever <laughs> level of conflict we're at at this point, um, definitely plays a piece of that. There are obviously plenty of other factors, um, but it, it is tricky. Um, it, it's not an easy thing to necessarily assign meaning to all the mm -hmm. time and be able to granularly break down. 
I prefer trade dispute. It's trade a little, dispute. It's a little that, that, less that sounds, hostile. Yes, that's, yeah. that that sounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I guess when I think about this, I think that a lot of people that might be listening to this podcast are maybe business owners or you know people that are interested in their particular industry, their area of expertise in the world, whether it's pro AV, where lots of components for LED screens get made in China, things like that, where people might have businesses that are affected by this, but they themselves might not be economists and, you know, experts in economics. So how should somebody who, let's say, owns and runs, a, a, you know, a LED manufacturer or something like that, uh, a company that manufactures LED boards, how is someone like that to look at the news and kind of see some of this data and, and, you know, see some of the things that you're talking about and really interpret that in a way that helps them make sense of what this means for me on a larger scale in my business, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really critical question to ask is, is how do I, again, you, you, many of us are not classically trained economists. We're not going to, we don't have a PhD in economics, so we're not going to be able to understand some of the nuances. Um, so what I really encourage you to do is find some sources that you trust mm -hmm. um, and figure out what they're talking about. What are the hallmarks? Those Again, th there's so much um, data flying around um, in topics like this. If you try to consider everything, you're going to be lost. This thing's going to say this, that's going to say that, and you're going to end up just scratching your head. So right. try and identify what some of those major points. Again, for me, the month-by-month -month trade deficit, that's mm -hmm. the one thing I kind of look at. Um, it is, is it over you know, simplifying the entire thing? Absolutely. But it's a good way for me to keep my finger on the pulse mm -hmm. um, and identify what those things are. Don't look at all the data. Look at what is actually important um, according to some sources you trust. So if you're looking for sources in this case, um, The Economist is a magazine I subscribe to. Mm -hmm. um, I read their online content all the time. They do a great job, since we're kind of talking about the economy here, of talking about these trends and breaking them down into a couple page articles of, hey, Here's the summary. Here's what's really important. And what you can do with that, not only obviously you subscribe to those kind of things, you read those, you keep up with um, that kind of literature, some of the content that's out there around that um, from all your trusted content sources. But the other thing is then you can go do a little bit of research on your own for, hey, this Economist article is talking about, um, you know, uh, the supply chain, this and that and the other thing or whatever it is. And, okay, cool. Well, hey, I, I know what that means now. Um, and I can maybe go do a little research and I can find, again, that's actually how I found the trade deficit thing. When this yeah. started, um, one of the, uh, I think it was someone on LinkedIn shared an article from The Economist that was talking about um, you know, how to keep up with it or something. It was really kind of tailor-made for what we're talking mm -hmm. about here. Um, and the one, the expert said, look at the trade deficit month over month. Um, if you look at nothing else, it'll kind of give you an idea of how this is impacting the relationship between the countries. And it was like, great. Now every month I know what to look for. I can go Google Again, August, you know, a trade deficit report between the U.S. and China, and there's a bunch of people reporting on the data, so I can kind of keep those hallmarks. There's actually, there's one other little thing mm -hmm. that I uh, would recommend. There's just kind of a, a weird trick that maybe not a lot of people are going to tell you, but um, if you've never heard of ELI-5, which is explain like I'm five. Um, actually, <laughs> I need this for a lot of things in life. Yes, exactly. It, you kind of, it, the people familiar with the dummies books and stuff like that. Loading the dishwasher, you know, just. It, it's very, very. Life is complicated. <laughs> absolutely. I think both of our wives would agree on the learning how to load the dishwasher one there, yeah. but we'll steal yeah, we'll, that. We'll, yeah, we'll anyway, leave that alone. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but what explain like I'm five is it's a, uh, it's become a more common term where um, again, the, it started, I, I might've started on Reddit. Um, mm -hmm. there's a big series about that, but, um, it's become common enough that you can actually Google a lot of kind of complicated topics with ELI five, um, explain like I'm five again, which pretty much means, Hey, what the heck does this mean? Break it down for me in an yeah. incredibly easy, digestible way. 
And usually you can find either someone out there, um, whether again, you know, be careful with your sources. Don't, you know, necessarily trust some crazy guy on Reddit all the time by any <laughs> means, but, um, it is a good way for looking for those very basic explanations. Definitely. Um, and I would highly encourage people if you ever, um, are walking by, you know, and you're seeing the CNBC on or something and they're talking about some financial term or some uh, analysis that you're like, well, that sounds important. They sound worried about it, but I have no idea what that means. Yeah. Give gold Google a shot, type the term in, type in ELI five and see what pops up see where you go from there. That's really interesting and, yeah. and kind of a fascinating, fun way to learn. Yeah, absolutely. And trust me, again, there's a uh, plenty of things and this is, we're talking about something real specific like the trade war and all, mm-hmm. but I mean, I, I've done this for, I was replacing some uh, struts on my truck a while back and that's what I didn't know what these terms meant. And I did that and some guy literally was like, okay, this makes the truck go up and down and da, 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 da. And I was like, oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah, thanks. I, I got it. Cool. <laughs> it's really cool. So it, it, again, it, don't mm-hmm. don't be prideful. It's okay to break it down and uh, you know keep it simple, stupid. So yes. Well, thank goodness for Google and YouTube over the years. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to do just about anything. That'd be yeah, pretty helpful. Absolutely. So. Well, we're going to be doing these podcasts on a monthly basis. So as we go along, we're going to continue to tackle more topics. So if there's something that you're interested in hearing, reach out to me or TC and we'll, you know, we'll kind of dive into a topic and maybe explore it a little bit more as it relates to data. So um, TC, any closing thoughts, anything we need to add on any of the topics we've covered so far? No, just uh, good luck to all those fancy players out there. Um, exactly. Unfortunately, uh, there's one person in my league I'm not wishing good luck I'm sitting across the table from me right now. I, uh, I wish you good luck until we play each other and then... Uh, not as much. Well, I appreciate that. I'll be undefeated going into that game. I have a good feeling. So. Yeah, all right, then. <laughs> <laughs> TC, thanks for doing this today, and uh, we'll be back soon with another episode of Diving Into Data. Thanks, Tyler. Tired of boring marketing content? Don't have the time or budget to create the videos your company needs? MarketScale may be able to help. Ask us how we can create content for your company today.